all of us have obstacles come up in our careers that we don't expect. When they do, a lot of what happens next comes down to attitude. Today's guest didn't have the career he expected, but his attitude ultimately defined his altitude to lead one of the most recognizable brands in the world. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 384. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And you know, because you listen to the show regularly, that uh, so much of leadership is about what's going on with us. Yes, there are so many things that we are doing on a daily basis as leaders to reach out to others, to think about communication, to think about talking to others about their careers. And there's also so much that we need to be doing for ourselves and how we think about our work and how we think about our lives and the attitude that we have. Today, someone who has really been a tremendous example for so many, not only on leadership and success, but uh, probably most importantly on attitude. I am so glad to welcome Howard H. White to the show today. Howard was a star in high school and a standout point guard for the University of Maryland and was also an NBA draft pick until knee injuries put a stop to his basketball career. However, undaunted, H put his other skills to use, eventually finding his way to Nike. Today, he is vice president of Jordan Brand and has been with the company for 35 years. With Nike's support, he founded the Believe to Achieve program, an innovative traveling seminar designed to encourage youth to believe in themselves and adults to mentor them. And he's the author of the book by the same name, Believe to Achieve, See the Invisible, Do the Impossible. H, I am so glad to welcome you to the show. Hey, Dave. How you feeling today, man? Hope it's all good. Hey, I'm feeling great, H. I'm feeling even better now that I'm talking to you because you share so many stories in this book that the one word that was coming up for me was attitude. In junior high school, your girlfriend at the time decides to change schools and you successfully make the case to transfer to the same school as well with her. But it didn't go how you planned. <laughs> what, hap- well, what happened? We had not that long been had moved ourselves. My father had left us and moved across town. Now, for the first time in my life, we lived in the middle of the woods. On one side of the woods, it was a pretty racist area. That was right at the beginning of integration. But one day, some friends came by, and they said they let you play basketball down at the new high school. And they were older than me. They were going to that school. And this is on the racist side. And we go down there. There are no people, no kids in the gym. There are three men, three white men in that gymnasium. I said, man, we better get out of here. We shouldn't be in here. And as we're leaving, one of the men asked us that we want to play a game. They're old people. You can always beat old people. I know they can. <laughs> but we played. And then where I was from, wherever you played, when we played, the little that I did play, wherever you got the ball, you could shoot it. You got the ball under the basket, you could shoot the ball under the basket. They changed the rules 
to like, no, you got to take the ball behind the line when it changes hands. So beat us to death. But going to this new school, when the girl asked me, I thought this was going to be perfect. We'd be in school. We'd be in love. This was the beginning of this romantic journey. And she wasn't there. Wait, she wasn't there? She was not there. She was not at that school day. You know, you didn't have a, you couldn't text her or, or call her at lunch to see where you are. You just wait till you got home. You call and say, hey, wait. What happened? I didn't see you. He said, well, I was at school. I said, no, you weren't at school. He said, I was at school. I said, no, you weren't at school. So I did not know one single soul at this new school. But a lot of things happened. I was the only black kid in the ninth grade, but I got to play basketball. I wasn't any good, and they weren't any good. So I got to play basketball on a real team. If I had gone back to the other school that I was at, I would have never played because I wasn't any good. Mm. When we went in that gym, that high school gym, the year before that, after we finished, a man walked up, the man that we were playing against. He introduced himself. He said, how you doing, son? My name is Jim Hathaway. I'm the coach here at Kickatan High. He said, have you ever heard of the big old Oscar Robinson? That's like asking somebody had they ever heard of Michael Jordan or LeBron James. But of course, he said, if you listen to everything I tell you, you could be just like the big O. And he was probably lying, but I listened. All of a sudden, I went home. I went in the woods. I chopped some trees down. I went and found a plywood. I went and found soda bottles cashed them in, went to Western Auto and bought a basketball and a basketball goal. Tacked them up on them trees I had built. And I shot a lot of basketball. A lot of basketball. I often say, if you're dumb enough to listen to people who see more in you than you can see in yourself, you'd be amazed at what you can do. So, if you happen to be a leader, listen to people because you never know what they may bring you. That same court that I walked on that first day, I was in the eighth grade and could not play basketball. Today is the Howard White Court. Mm. They play the Howard White Classic on it every year. So, that changed the scope of my life because I listened to somebody who saw more in me than I could see in myself. I'm thinking back to you being, you know, in the junior high, high school years and showing up in that incredibly difficult situation of being one of the only black kids in the school, thinking you were following your girlfriend that school and turned out she ended up somewhere else. I think a lot of people in that situation would have really struggled. And yet, despite that situation, you thrived. What was the choice you made back then that set you on the path to thrive? Well, first of all, I couldn't go home and say, Mama, there's been a gross mistake here. You can't get an education at that school. I have to go to this other school. That was not going to work. So that was off the table. 
Now, I think it's how one chooses to see the world. So I talk to that coach all the time because the coach said, hey, if you listen, you could be just like the big O. When I got to college, the only thing on the back of my uniform was a simple H. And that's how I started getting the nickname H. I ran for senior class president at that high school, Kikatan High School. And I just read in the Scholastic magazine that said, if you're a class officer, you had a better chance of going to college. Nobody in my family ever had to, went to college. So I'm figuring, heck, if all it takes is running for class office, I got a chance to go to college. So I talked to my assistant coach and told him, and he said, what would you run for? I said, I don't know, you know, treasurer, secretary or something. Just say you need to be a class officer. And he said, let me ask you something, Howard. He said, can you tell me who the salutatorian in school is? I said, no, I can't. He said, that might have been too hard. How about the valedictorian? I said, well, no, coach, I, I can't tell you, so I guess I can't run for class office. He said, well, you may be getting ahead of yourself. I bet they can tell me who you are. I said, those people don't know me. He said, I bet I guarantee you that they do. He said, so why wouldn't you run for class president? That way you can tell the secretary and the treasurer what to do. Man, that's a marvelous idea. What <laughs> about it from that perspective? So oftentimes, we as people set our sights too low. That taught me, set your sights out there. If they don't come true, I guarantee you're going to be a lot further along than if you ever set them low. And your audience, the people that are leaders already, and you're working with other people and youth, get them to start setting their sights higher. Because all that takes now is some belief in who you think you might become. Mm. And if you can get that into somebody, you never know what they might become. Will they fail? Will they fall? Will they scuff their feet? Will, yes, all of those things are going to happen. But you keep getting them to reach further and further and further, extending themselves. They might do something massive. And you did get good playing basketball. You were an NBA draft pick. And then you ran into injury. What was yeah, that? You know what? what was that time like? This is amazing, Dave. I got hurt my senior year in high school. I went to the University of Charlottesville, Dr. Frank McHugh, and got it my knee rebuilt. And really, I probably should not have played basketball my freshman year, but I did. And then, you know, heck, I was a sophomore, junior, and I played. But what was really happening, I was simply playing off of one leg. I was playing on my right leg, and I was jumping still. I mean, I could really jump, I could move. But really, all I was doing was wearing down that one other leg. 
in my senior year in college, that was gone. Basketball suddenly became not much fun because it hurt to play. Now, for me, I had no idea what I was going to do. But it was almost like I must not be meant to play basketball. God must have another plan for me because if he didn't, I wouldn't get hurt like this. So it was almost me thinking that there was something else I was supposed to be doing. In college, there was one teacher in my English class. I remember one day she said, it's a shame that you play basketball. And I'm like, you must be crazy. What are you talking about? I'm the starting guard on, you know, the big time basketball team, top 10 in the country. And you're telling me it's a shame I play basketball. He said, because your other skills are so good that you don't even use them because of something basketball. I really never listened to her. That English teacher, once I woke up and understood, she saw something far greater in me than being a basketball player. Here I am thinking basketball is going to take me to the end of the world. She saw far more than that. Uh There was a girlfriend that I did go with in high school. And I remember Gail always said, you're just not like us. I said, what are you talking about? She said, you live under a charmed star. Yeah, right, okay. And she always said it. And I remember when afterwards I called her, and this was, I was at working at Nike. And I finally called her to ask her why did she always say that. He said, how? We always say what? It's been like 50 years. I said, you always say that I lived under a charm star. And she said, I would submit that you still do. I said, why would you say that? Then she went through all the things. She said, I don't know people that start playing basketball one year. They're a superstar the next year. I don't know people that walk down that little street. People call your names. It never phases you. I don't know people that go to a school. It's an all-white school. You're the most popular boy in school. I don't know people that go to a school that's probably 96% white. They vote you as the senior class president. I don't know people that get hurt. They steal a star. Then they get hurt again. And then they're recruiting the best players in the country. I don't know those people. Then you leave all of that. You go to Nike and you're working with the Michael Jordans and the box. She said, you may know those people. I just don't. So I would submit you still live under a charm star. And I think what that says is most people, they don't see themselves in the same light as others do. And depending on how big your world is, you may never. But by listening to other people, they can expand your diameter. They can expand your perimeter. They can expand who you are. 
so many leaders that are part of our community want to be the kind of person who helps others expand their horizons. You have been that person. More importantly, H, you've done that for a lot of other people in their careers, and now you do it so much for young people. When you are coaching someone on how to take that first step to become that kind of leader, what are the things you say? Well, as a general rule, because someone told me, I hope that you become far better than I am and one day even become my boss. Now, let's start looking at ways that you can do that. And it's not whether someone follows you to the corner. If they follow you around the corner, that's when you can actually make a difference. And it's helping someone see their weaknesses and how to make them stronger. And if you're a great leader, guess what? You're still vulnerable. But you have to care for these people. You have to care. You have to care about their families. You have to care about them as people. Because they're the people that other people want to follow. It's a young lady, and I didn't know, and she was introducing me to speak. And she told a story that, like, blew me away. As she was introducing me, she said it was the worst day of my life. I had just gotten this news that something traumatic had happened to my dad. I came down the elevator, and I was with Howard H. White. And he said, how you doing today? And he engaged me and he started talking to me and he started letting me, cause he didn't know what was going on in my life, but his kindness opened me up to see far greater than I was able to see in that little narrow, world that I was looking through and she said he didn't know this but the time he spent with me that day saved my life so usually if you do things not because they're going to further you not because wow if I say something, you know, it's easy. Somebody might say something to the president and CEO because they might think that gives them brownie points. But it's what you say to the person that's the custodian, the person that works in the cafeteria, the person that you don't know from Adam. It's the time that you give them that says so much about who you are. And if you are leading an organization, won't people act the way they see you act? So I like to look at leadership in those extraordinarily simple ways that build confidence and courage in people. Because to be a good leader takes courage. Mm. Well, speaking of courage, 
I grew up in the Chicago area and I was in high school when Jordan was at the height of his career. So it's amazing to me to even think about Air Jordan and not being you know, its own brand and with the success that it's had. And one of the things you write about is that early on, it, that wasn't apparent. And you felt that Air Jordan really could stand as a separate brand and not everyone at Nike thought that. And you worked really hard for Michael and for the brand for that to happen. Tell me about what that was like in the context of those five years and making the case at Nike. You know, I think for, for me and for, for some of the others too, you know, people often think that, because what are you trying to sell? If you're trying to sell just for more shoes and clothes, yeah, good luck with that. But I think what Michael really meant to so many people was hope. What he meant to the city of Chicago was hope. And Philip Knight, who is the founder of Nike, co-founder, Bill Bowerman was the other one. And I remember when I told Mr. Knight, we were sitting down, and Michael had just retired. So I was telling him that I thought Nike could be a brand. Jordan could be a brand. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I really think that it could be a brand. He said, he's not even playing. He said, just in case, let me refresh your mind. What we do is we take an athlete, we build them shoes, They go out and they play in those shoes. People look at them. And then people buy the shoes, so they emulate that. Now, in this equation, he's retired. He's not playing. So do you see how this is broken? I said, yeah, that is broken. But you know what's funny? And I happened to be out in front of the campus just the other day. And a Mercedes Benz pulled up to the red light and stopped. And then the light turned green and the Mercedes Benz left. He said, and your point is what? I said, it just dawned on me that Mr. Mercedes has been dead an awful long time. How did that Mercedes Benz pull up to the red light and stop and take off? Point well taken. <laughs> so oftentimes it's finding a way to help someone see. Because that's really all that is. Helping someone see. Giving them a perspective that they can relate to. That changes the whole way they see the universe. Mm. And when a young, there's nothing that can replace that. When there is a young kid that needs hope, that's hard to replace. And there's a young man that works at this company. He had seen Michael one day and he came out and he said, you know what, I kind of just walked by him and H.I. came back and I said, he said, my goodness, that's Michael Jordan. I walked over to him and said, hey, like, man, nice seeing you. Thanks for being here. And he came over. He had a meeting with me. 
And he said, I must tell you this. He said, I'm from the south side of Chicago, pretty tough area. He said, now what happened? Every day I would come to work. I had a job at Nike Town in Chicago. Every day I would come in, I would catch the train in, and I would make it a point to walk by Michael Jordan's office. He had an office over in the Omni Hotel. I would make it a point, regardless of the weather, regardless of how cold, I would walk by there in hopes that I might just see one of his cars out there. And then when I would leave work that day, I would do the same thing. And again, it was simple hopes that I might catch a glimpse of one of his cars. And if I was lucky enough, maybe I would see the goat himself. He said, now I was under no delusion that I might become this great basketball player. But I did think that I had greatness in me. And he had not become at that time. But now he's a vice president here. He said that, just seeing that, in my mind, believing in something that was far greater than me. Again, I had no delusions that I would become the great goat. But I knew I could be the best me I could be. So therein is what this game is about. How do you make someone else see the best them they can be? One of the things you write in the book is remember to do something that not everyone is willing to do. You've had the privilege of watching someone many of us have seen in the media and on TV, Michael Jordan, up close for many years. I'm curious, what have you seen him do that others are unwilling to do that maybe we don't see in the media? Well, Michael, Michael is a relentless competitor. Relentless. We were in Hawaii one summer. And, you know, there's some ping pong tables. So we just started playing ping pong. And I was decent, by no means great. And, you know, we just played ping pong. And, I mean, I could beat him, but he never forgot that. He went home. He purchased a ping pong table and put it in his basement. Everybody that came over had to play ping pong. Then he had them put a ping pong table over in the Birdo Center. Everybody had to play ping pong. The media had to play ping pong. You know, he played ping pong until he became quite good. And simply because I beat him playing ping pong. Oh, wow. That's just who he is at his core. I tell people in the book, Everybody wants something in life. There's just very few people willing to give up anything to get it. Everything that he's gotten, he's been willing to sacrifice to make that happen. Before we started recording, you and I were talking about that hypothetical question that comes up in a lot of conversations about life and people. And the question was if 
you could sit next to one person on an airplane. Who would you sit next to? Who would be that next person? And we had mentioned some of the names people often mention, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Jesus. But I loved your answer to that question. So, H, if you were on a plane, could sit next to anyone, who would you sit next to? The next person that has that seat. The next person that has that seat has a story that might change my life. The story that might enlighten me. The story that might move me to be someone greater. So we never know who next we can sympathize that might change the course of my life. My dad leaving, which was a horrible thing. We had to move out to my aunts in the woods because we know we had nowhere else to go. It changed the course of my life. So if we aren't open to new things, new thought processes, new realities, then we're destined to stay the same. Howard H. White is the author of Believe to Achieve, See the Invisible, Do the Impossible. H., thank you so much for all you've done in your career to inspire all of us through the work and the Jordan brand. And thank you for all you've done to inspire us today. Dave, it's been a pleasure, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to, first, taking the time to read Believe to Achieve. And then taking the time so we could just have this wonderful conversation in hopes that someone's life might be just a little bit better. H, the pleasure was mine. I've been so privileged over the years to welcome many guests like H who have inspired us with their career journeys and done some wonderful things in the world. Uh, Four past episodes in particular that come to mind are episode 103. The title of that episode was Everyday People, Extraordinary Leaders, a series I did a while back and started with Olivia Klaus. She is the producer of a documentary film called Sin by Silence. She highlighted at the time some of the laws in the state of California and how they were unfairly treating women who were victims of domestic abuse. That documentary movie went on to influence a change in the California legal system, ultimately a change of laws and influencing the governor of California. It is a fascinating story of how one person's vision for a project really created some incredible change in the lives of so many people. And she tells the story of how it happened in episode 103. Check that out if that's of interest. I also would recommend episode 229, Leadership Lessons from the Challenger Disaster. Al McDonald was my guest on that episode. If you know anything of the Challenger Disaster, the Space Shuttle Challenger, There's so many leadership case studies that have been written about it over the years, and Al McDonald is a central figure in the Challenger story. He is the single person who refused to sign off on Challenger's launch the night before the accident for the very reason that ultimately doomed 
the space shuttle, and it is a fascinating interview and story with him about that evening, the decision he made, and also, perhaps most interesting, what happened after that accident and the resulting investigation and how his career played out. He is the uh, still, uh, as far as we know, the only person in American history that Congress wrote a single law aimed at. If you are a space geek and also or a uh, have a lot of interest in ethics and leadership and you haven't heard episode 229, absolutely check that one out. Also, I'd recommend episode 267, The Way to Grow Your Leadership Career. Ron Wallace was my guest on that episode. He is the former president of UPS. He started his career as a UPS driver, worked his way up through the hierarchy at UPS, ultimately became president, and wrote a book talking about the lessons he learned along the way. And on episode 267, he taught us a number of the lessons he discovered in his career journey. So if you are looking for a bit of inspiration on the path you may take in your organization, especially if you are moving up, episode 267 is one to check out for sure. And then finally, of course, I'm going to recommend episode 336, The Choice for Compassion. My guest was Dr. Edith Eager. She is a Holocaust survivor. On that episode, uh, Edith talked about the incredible, incredible story uh, she had in her life of being captured by the Nazis and the resulting horror that she experienced in the concentration camps, and then also her career after that and her life story. It is uh, an incredibly inspirational message. Uh, So many of you reached out to me and reached out to her after that episode aired. Episode 336, The Choice for Compassion, I would uh, certainly encourage you to make that choice as well. And all of those episodes are available in the podcast library. You can access them by going to coachingforleaders.com slash podcast. If you have your free membership set up, you'll be able to search for all of those and every past episode since 2011, searchable by topic. If you have not yet activated your free membership, it'll prompt you to do that, and you can activate your free membership either there or at the coachingforleaders.com website on the main page. It will give you access to the entire past library since 2011. Also, access to my free 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People you lead. In that free course, I highlight many of the lessons that we've learned from the experts on this podcast over the last seven, eight years now, and also give you some very practical things you can do to take immediate actions to influence others. If that would be a value to you, you can activate your free membership right over at coachingforleaders.com. You also get access to all the book notes, my highlights from the books that I've read of all the guests who've been on the podcast recently. I read H's book as well. All of my highlights are there downloadable for you with your free membership. So check that out in the book notes section for those of you who access the free membership portal. Next week, I am glad to welcome Lois Frankel to the show. She is the author of Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office, and she's going to be with us to share the unconscious mistakes that women make that sabotage their careers. Regardless of which gender you identify with, I think you're going to find a lot of useful information and inspiration from that conversation as well. Join me next week to discover more and I hope you have a great week. Take care.